previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. So I think he's by far the strongest candidate in a primary. I don't even think it's close. I mean, he he has a 30-point lead right now. Now, people have lost 30-point leads before. Rudy Giuliani at one point in 2008 had a 30-point lead. I mean, it, Atlanta it Falcons lost. Right. <laughs> there you go. Tom, it but it, Tom Brady was on the other side. I don't know if Tom Brady's walking through that <laughs> right, door. That's right. Um, <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty then. Um... Let me just start with something from Jamie Lyko, who writes, Shot in the dark here. I'm an L.A.-based writer working on a project about the 1980 U.S.-led boycott of the Moscow Games. I was wondering if you'd possibly be interested in hearing more about it and talking with me about your memories of that time in sports and American culture. No, I, I don't remember. You need, people need to understand, and I get this all the time. I'm doing a documentary. I, I don't remember. Right. Well, sure, you were alive. You were writing. Eh, I don't remember. I just don't remember. You choose not to remember. Best of luck. Yes. But I, I Again, just, you remember every high school box score. I do. I remember those. But there are other things I don't remember. So I went out to uh, Delaware um, at the end of the weekend, at the end of the week and, and through the weekend. And boy, you know, what, you know how you know you're getting old? Because when you get out of the drive back, you need to take a nap. Oh. Uh, I'm old. I'm an old man. Anyway. I had a very exciting thing happen. I played a couple of days with the socialite, which was fun. Um, but the day I didn't play with him, the Saturday round I played with, for those of you who know the Rehoboth Beach golf course, I'm going to talk about the par three, the last par three on the course, number 15. Straightaway par three with a very severe downhill ramp situation on the left-hand side. So if you don't make the green, you are in a bad circumstance that requires a very delicate chip and a right-hand trap. Hourglass-shaped green. Yeah. So I'm up there. The, the pin's basically in the middle. The pin's basically in the middle. A little to the right side, but basically right in the middle of the hole. I'm up there. It's 140 yards. I'm an old man. I don't have 140 in me anymore. I take out a five iron. I hit one of the best shots of my life. I hit it to 10 feet. It was one of the best shots I ever hit. I mean, I was thrilled. The guy after me, Paul Collins, I don't know what stick he took out. He's a stronger player than I am. Hits it on the green, one bounce, boom, in the jar. Oof. One bounce, nothing but net in the jar. So you can see it go to the bottom. Yeah, he, he sees it first, and it's a hole in one. I'm thinking, well, I hit a pretty good shot, but this guy. <laughs> no, for sure. you know, I mean, I, I hit really a good shot, and this guy jars it. It was very exciting. It's the third or fourth time I've been with someone who's hit a hole in one. You are almost ex- as excited as they are. You've been with, you have your own. I, I don't have, have I any. have one, and I have been in one other group where there has been a hole in one. It's exciting, it isn't is it? It is exciting, and that one we did not see it go to the bottom. Yeah, this one, it, it, you know, one bounce, then you didn't see it again, and he goes, he starts screaming, and we all agree. Fifteen <laughs> is the perfect spot because you don't have to, you don't have to deal with the heaviness of you get through the rest of the round. You, you just sort of get to celebrate. It was just wonderful, and then afterwards, you know, it's free drinks, which is good. That was good. Do you remember that those? old USJ commercial where there's a little kid who's playing by himself, like sprinklers are on, hits a hole in one, and looks around, no and one's there. Somebody <laughs> is yeah, there. Drinks on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we got, uh, when I went out, we played Thursday and men's day and, and you, you're, you're assigned a number you have to, it's a staple for scoring system. You have to match your number. Uh, I went two over. I was only, only asked to get 14 points, which is about right for me. I got 16. I was two over. I didn't, and I won money and I didn't expect to, I thought four over five over six over, but I won some money. And then I also won some money 
on Saturday in a in a match that we were in against another foursome. But it wasn't quite enough money to cover the park the uh, ticket I got, the moving violation going through a stop sign. That's a $67 ticket in Rehoboth Beach. And I, you know, I don't even know. Michael insists I did it. Michael, of course, you were not in the car, but you said, I know you did it. You, you got pulled over for it. You did it. Right. So I, even though I don't know. It's if like I, balls and strikes. You can't argue this. Yeah, you did. Even though yeah. I don't know if I did it, once I saw the car behind me, okay, whatever he was going to tell Did you me, have your driver's license yes, with you? Yes, I had my driver's license with me. Whatever he was going to tell me, I was going to accept. I do not fool around with this. I just, I opened the window um, and I said, what did do I you do? you know who I am? Yeah, no. What did I do? And he said, you went through a stop sign. Did you know that? And I said, I, I'm sorry. I thought I stopped. But, you know, okay. I mean, I don't. Now they have added some stop signs that are hard to see. Plus, if you have the muscle memory and you're only going out there a couple times a year. Uh, did you try and say something like, is that your envelope of $100 bills? Because no. it's not mine. No, I didn't yeah, say Yeah, wear the signed PTI hats. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Uh, Open up the no. truck. That's no, not you, suspicious. You don't, you don't nope. mess with them in that. You just no. say, yep, all right. I did it. Yeah, you did it. 67 bucks. I did it. Maybe um, you did it. You know, maybe I did it. But I don't have enough where I can fight it. And I don't mind fighting it because it gives me something to do for a day to go to court in Rehoboth. It'd be fine. I, I don't, I'd fight it if I strongly believed I didn't do it. But... I don't strongly believe I didn't do it, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay it, you know. Anyway, so I, I made, although I made a little bit of money, I didn't, I didn't, didn't cover enough. the ticket. Didn't cover the ticket. That was Men's Day. We played with Alan and Chris Lindsay and Hap. It was lots of fun. I wanted to say this. I've been waiting to say this for a while to Alex of Pineapple Landscaping. He broke, he a couple of months ago, right? I asked for some flowers. I just thought it'd be nice to have some flowers. I didn't want to go get them myself, you know. So they put in orange and white. Um, what are those flowers called? Uh, you got impatience. Impatience. Orange and white impatience. And those are good in shade and good in sun. They're, they're good in shade. And you can squeeze them, pop them. Yeah, and, and it's really nice. So I wanted to thank Alex for that. I don't really have anything else. We're going to talk about, at great length, we're going to talk about the U.S. Open. I watched all of it. I watched till the end. So it was like 10, 20 or something like that. So we will talk about I, that. I would like to echo how you promoted the fact that it was going to be on the West Coast. It's great. It's, it's so funny. They finally got it right on Sunday. On Saturday, they, they no, missed too the putt a little bit. It, it went too late. The yeah. leaders went off. And your winner actually was correct, Com- complaining about complaining how about it cost it. him and Ricky a couple of shots given the difficulty of 16, 17, 18. Can't and see. a term I don't want to hear again. For marine the rest layer. of the sum, summer is marine layer. marine layer. And you should expect that maybe there's a marine layer coming in. Uh, you, you ended Every up day. not getting the open you expected for all of the uh, celebrity and the, the sort of pomp around Los Angeles and going back to a city that hasn't hosted the U.S. Open in 75 years and going back to this very, very private club that is against the most famous names and streets in the country. Uh, but you didn't sort of – it didn't feel that way. They, they – uh, they didn't have the right number of tickets to fans. That's finally coming out. They limited tickets, which I guess you have to do for have a city. You have to limit them. But when you when you decide on a number, you don't have to allocate so many to hospitality tents. Because right. I guess everybody in L.A. has to have a ticket to an exclusive club. Uh, but it felt, it felt thin watching uh, these leaders go through the corridors, these little canyons around the back nine, and really not seeing that many fans. There was that, and there was... A sort of lack of drama yesterday. It just, it was not a dramatic 
open by any means. Uh, Jingle Fest is this week. Oh, yes. So we, we welcome, I mean, I don't mean the royal we. I mean, have a good time. If you're coming to Washington, D.C., have a good time. Go see all the haunts that you like to see, like Calvert Woodley and the Refugee Safeway and Bethesda Bagels. Go online, do, check the schedule. There's a full slate of events, golf, yeah. lunch. Lovely, lovely. Enjoy yourself. Truly is. Dominic Smith stinks. Ooh, 0 yeah. for 4 yesterday, last that. out, tying run at the plate, uh, pop out, you know, three routine ground balls to first base and a pop out to second base. I mean, he's just, again, he's, just, he's not, not good. Victor Robles, I just want to mention this. I can't, you know, I hate Victor Robles because I don't think he's a major league hitter. He's a great fielder. I don't think he's a major league hitter. He gets on base. Lane Thomas is up. Lane Thomas is the best power hitter on the team, although he bats leadoff. He's the best power hitter on the team. He's got eight or nine home runs. Dominic Smith has one. Um, He's at the plate. The left-handed pitcher throws over to hold him. And Bob Carpenter says, says on the air, you can't get picked off if you're Victor Robles. Not with two outs and the best power hitter on the team up in a two-run game. He gets picked off. He got picked off. On one pitch later, he got picked off, ending any threat to tie the game at that point. And Lane Thomas had already hit a home run in the game. Well, you know, what are you supposed to say? Carpenter is not uh, a guy who points out a mistake by the Nats and goes over it eight times like I would in a college. (laughs) But he had just, it was prescient, right, Michael? He just said, you can't do this, and he did it. Sure, yep. Yeah. It's a left-handed pitcher. What are you doing? Yeah, no. He's looking right at you. Yeah, stay close to the back. You think, okay, so I'll, you know, this will be the second throw over and then I'll take off. Well, you didn't get it. Mm-mm. That's it. Got swept by the Marlins. Was that the, the result of that? They, they haven't beaten the Marlins all year. Am I right on that? They're about halfway through the uh, slate of schedule against them. They, you know, if they played the That's Marlins right. all year, they'd get, the, they'd get Victor Wembanyama. <laughs> <laughs> they'd get the number one overall pick, right? <laughs> That's it for me. We'll take a break. Michael Wilbon, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a song called Highway by a band called Moncton Road. Jeff Bouvier of Moncton, Maryland, I hope I pronounced that correctly. His name, I know I'm pronouncing Moncton correctly, writes in, I have your show to thank for introducing me to the musical stylings of the incomparable Dan Byrne, who put on an incredible show here in Moncton, Maryland on June 7th and thought I would try to return the favor by introducing you and your listeners to Moncton Road, a local Maryland band. Talbot Mayo Roselle, her dad Bill Mayo, Susie West, her brother Jody West, and Dave Richard, the talented crew that write and perform the great songs that are on their new album, Fireball Sessions. I've attached a couple of songs. And by the way, Dan Byrne, just wow, you know, loves Dan Byrne. Highway plays in Michael Wilbon. We'll get to, we'll get to the open, but we, I think we have to start with the Wizards in what is, it cannot be, regardless of who writes about this, uh, and in the Washington Post in terms of what Bradley Beal means 
cannot be viewed as anything but a salary dump. That's what it is. We're getting rid of Bradley Beal. We don't really care if we get anything back because we're not getting anything back. Right? You agree with this, don't you? Well, it's I mean, they're not, they're, they're not trying to get anything back. Right. They're, they're trying to hit the restart button. Yeah. Um, and that's what that's what Ted Leonsis has never done. That's right. Wizards owner. And, you know, you, you can – look, people, plenty of teams have done this through drafting and had both luck and shrewdness drafting. Speaking of draft, which is uh, wet Thursday – and you can do that because you can get a guy like Kawhi Leonard, 13th or whatever it is, and Giannis, 15th. You know, Joker, 42nd. It's completely absurd, but that's when he was chosen. Um, and even some players who are, you know, like 8, 9, 10, like I think Booker is in that category. So, but you've got to have multiple picks and you've got to live with it. You've got to live it, live with it that way. You can't just be you know, sort of bad enough to still hope to get the certain crowd level um, and and make the playoffs, just make the playoffs, have to have home playoff dates, which some ownership teams want. So, yeah, so, so the Wizards are apparently going to hit restart and be really, 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 really bad for a bit. Yeah, that's okay. That's the way you do it. The Wizards have had two number one picks in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, neither worked out. Kwame Brown was a bad pick. Um, John Wall wasn't a bad pick. It just his career, it, it, it just didn't happen in the way that you thought it might happen. It's no guarantee. Number one pick is not a guarantee. But no. what the Wizards are doing, finally, the, this new guy, Michael Winger, must have sat down with the owner, Ted Leonsis, and said, we're going in a different direction. You just sit down and watch me. I'll well, get you a better team in five years. You don't take that tact when you're employed. You take that tackle before the guy sitting across from you. That's right. And thinking, I'd like to hire this guy, and this one—that's when Winger has to say, "Okay, but if you get me, here's the deal. Yeah. If I come, here's what's going to happen." And so, uh, you know, no Bradley Beal. Okay, so one of the names, and it's not a finalized deal yet, as a lot of things get tossed around. And one of the names is your friend Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine Chris Paul coming to Washington to play on a lousy. I cannot imagine it. What are, you, what are your thoughts as to what Chris Paul is going to do? I can't either, but Chris Paul, remember we thought Chris Paul was going to say no to playing in Oklahoma City for a year. Instead, he got them to like the fifth seed. It was insane. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen here. No, but, but no, I can't imagine. I think he'll take a buyout and yeah. wind up playing for with LeBron uh, for the Lakers. That's what I foresee. Yeah, I, I foresee him. Maybe either. the Clippers. Maybe the Clippers or maybe or the, the Wizards get something else by dealing him to the Clippers, but not 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 playing in Washington. I don't see that. Now, our frequent guest, Kendrick Perkins, I saw him on television this morning saying that right now Phoenix is the best team in he basketball. And yeah. I sat there and I thought to myself, what? What? Do yeah. you agree with that? No. Huh. But I don't know what else Phoenix is going to do. And, and I will say this, Tony. Um, I, I, look, remember Kendrick Perkins had Miami in the finals. And not a lot of people That's right. had the stones to do that. And he picked them to win. Picked them to win. Going in. Mm-hmm. All right, so he got a lot closer to being right than just about anybody else who picks games for a living on that score. But I don't know what else they're going to do. Like, are they going to get rid of Aiden? I would get rid of Aiden. I believe Aiden cost them 
this past season cost them. And, and, and I know they didn't get Durant in time. To, you can't get somebody for nine games and, and win a championship. I get that. But I would get rid of Aiton. I don't know if they will. Um, and the other thing is, Tony, I don't like teams with no point guard. And That's Bradley right. Beal and Devin Booker, Devin Booker do not. the same thing, largely. Yep. Now, this has happened. You know, you look, one of your teams. I mean, I know they weren't the same, but weren't Frazier and Monroe, they shared, they had a big overlap in skill set, did they not? They did, but I will tell you this, that Frazier and Monroe, unlike Booker and Beal, were natural point guards who yeah. scored as well. It's, it's, it's totally different. These guys are shooting guards. They're natural scorers. Yeah. And I don't know, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I got to see that. And I got to see them. They're not finished yet. They're not finished. Um, but Aiden is the guy that I would dump. Yeah. Okay. Right, let's move on. Let's go to the U.S. Open. You'd be very proud of me. I watched all of it. I know you watched all of it. What were your, as it's unfolding, and I knew you were rooting for Ricky Fowler. Yes. And Ricky Fowler took himself out of it very early. A lot of guys yeah. took themselves out of it early. Yeah. But what did you think of the entire, what did you think of all of it? Um, I was, I told Kelleher last night in a text very late that I was underwhelmed by the Sunday round. I know there was drama. I know there, that it, 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 it's a quote, Matt Kelleher in the text, it got U.S. Openy, which was, you know, guys had to just really hang on and hope to make par, you know, for hold after hold after hold. And I get that. I think that way too much was made of the golf course. And, and it's so funny, Matt, Matt Fitzpatrick, the Northwestern alum, we had two guys in, by the way, Tony, Dylan Wu and Matty Fitzpatrick. We had two guys from Northwestern, I bet, both finished in the top 30. But anyway, they asked Matty Fitzpatrick about it. He was like, eh, it's not at the golf course. It's not doing it for me. You know, I've been there. I've seen it. It's beautiful, of course. It is. I've played it a couple of times. I just thought there was too much made of it. Um, and I, I, it wasn't the most satisfying U.S. Open for me. Uh, I don't know anything. He's got a little so. Again, I started looking up more. I need to know more about Wyndham Clark because I just don't know anything about him. I know what they said on the telecast that he went to Oregon. He transferred. He was went to Oklahoma State. Transferred. Went to Oregon. And I started to look up some stuff because I don't know anything about him. Then I found out as I'm looking up stuff, he lives in Scottsdale, Arizona. I will tell I you. I don't know where he lives well, here. I started this to is text people last night to say, is he like? Am I going to walk out to get my mail and see Wyndham Clark today? So this is an interesting thing. Out of the blue, Barkley sent me a note yesterday saying Happy Father's Day. Okay. And we went back and forth. And he's watching the Open and I'm watching the Open. And he says to me, because I say, who's this guy? Wyndham Clark. I don't know much about him. And he says, oh, he's a neighbor of me and Wilbon's. He's in Arizona. <laughs> So I assumed you knew that, and you no. didn't know that. No, I He didn't. says he's a good guy, so I'm, yeah. I'm guessing yeah. Chuck knows him. Yeah, Charles, uh, listen, you know, for people who are just hearing Charles Barkley and thinking basketball, what they don't understand is Charles follows everything. Oh, sure, everything. he follows hockey. He follows hockey. He follows everything. In, in, you know, you know, in a, in a, you know, there are times where Charles will say, you know, meet me for dinner, boy, meet me for dinner tonight, and I go and I meet Charles for dinner, 
And then it's like a hockey coach. There's an NHL coach or a former player. I'm like, Chuck, how do you know these people? He knows everybody because he follows. But golf, golf and the NHL, he follows to a proposal. So wait, I'm, I'm, hold on a second. So he knows him. I don't know Wyndham Clark, and I have not seen him right. like at the gas station, which could <laughs> right. happen in right. the next hour. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I get this, and you found it underwhelming. Michael, you wrote me a note during the – they had just basically made the turn, and you used the word boring. Yeah, I mean, pretty early you knew that the winner was going to come from the final two groups. Right. Uh, so it made it hard to see anyone pick up any ground because there was such a differential and dif- difficulty with the back nine versus the front. So if you didn't make that run in the first six holes, you weren't going to make it. So there was nowhere to make it up. My, my, I mean, my, Michael and I felt, I felt the same way about it, um, which – I don't want to feel that way about it because I love the U.S. Open. I love all the majors. But I just didn't – there was nothing in it. And the golf course, I, other than having, you know, um, sort of like kitty golf par threes a couple of times, other than that, I don't know, Tony, there were no holes that were either, A, familiar enough because you had not had a tournament there, or, B, I don't know, compelling enough that I couldn't wait until they got there because something might happen. You know what I mean? The golf course didn't present that. So I, you know, I, I guess, I guess. I, it, was, it was fine. It, it was, when Clark, look, more importantly, Clark, Clark did not fall apart. He, he had a couple of places where he could have, he did but not. he didn't. And good for him. Good for him to win twice this spring at his first major. And the U.S. opened at that. Good for him. I think it's interesting to try and think through USGA setup versus the course itself. And it'd be, you'd love to see what some of the members and what some of the staff would have liked to see with maybe some of the pins. A lot was made out of that really short par three, the 15th. And you would think about the balance of having five par threes. It's okay to have one of those be the toss aside. But when you have the difficulty of 16, 17, 18, it's just hard to get the golf ball close enough to make any of those birdies, which is why you saw Rory make birdie on the opening hole. And then he's sort of going over for the rest. Yeah, and I, you know, I, 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 I'm also disappointed that this is the third major of the year. Should be the second major. The original schedule was great. You know, the U.S. Open is the second major. Uh, the British Open in July and in August, late August at that. I guess mid-August. The PGA Championship. That that that, that schedule was much preferable to this, which now has just the British Open and then golf's over. And I don't, I don't like that at all. Yeah, I understand. I don't, I don't like what they've done, the schedule makers and being afraid of football. I understand why they're afraid of football, but you can, you can, you can, you can put that schedule almost Labor Day weekend and, and schedule the PGA and put it back then, and you open it up to more places because it's not open up to more places now because it's in May when it's cold and you know two thirds of the United States, particularly with these new weather patterns we have, where it's not really warm anywhere until June. I, I watched the entire Open, which I don't usually do, stay up that late. And I was struck by the fact that Rory did birdie the first hole and and came so close on so many putts, yeah, but they didn't drop. Didn't make them, and didn't the make other them. kid, everybody else fell apart. Fowler did. DJ did. Shoffley did. Scheffler did. This kid didn't. Right. He was he the name belong. that didn't belong, and he did yeah, not. I'm not apart. questioning the result or 
the separation of one player right. and making a, a worthy champion of him. I'm not questioning any of that. I'm talking about just my sheer enjoyment of the no. event, yeah. the stake of it. Not, not in my top 20 U.S. Opens, not for me. All righty. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, so. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, will take a break. Steve Sands will join us. We're going to do more on the Open because it's, it's a big deal. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. It's a One more time. Moncton Road. Song is called Birmingham. Can't take one train from where I am. It's very nice. Yes. <laughs> Moncton Road, Maryland band. Michael, if Moncton Road wants to send in their original music, if anybody else wants to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornersershow.com. I feel like we're crossing the Bay Bridge, heading out to Easton. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and Moncton Road, by the way, if you want to see him live and you live in the area, um, of DC, rather, uh, they're going to be in Baltimore. July 8th from 6 to 9 at the Rotunda, part of the Summer Saturday Rotunda Rock series of concerts. So I would recommend going. Yes. Steve Sands joins us now. Um, I took notes on this tournament. As far as I'm concerned, the turning point in the tournament, there was no real turning point. But if I had to pick the turning point, it was at hole number eight when Rory missed a four-foot birdie putt. If he makes that putt, there is much more pressure on Wyndham Clark and if there's much more pressure on Wyndham Clark when he bogeys like 15 and 16, you know, then there's a different story. The first question I've got for you is this. On Thursday, two guys shot minus eight, and I feared minus 20 would win. And that didn't happen. What did they do to the course to prevent that from happening? Before we talk golf, Tony, let me just make a, a subtle shout-out to Katie from Deloitte who okay. yelled La Cheeserie louder than I've ever heard anybody <laughs> yell La Cheeserie in my life. And it was almost startling uh, how loud it was. It was great. Katie was a very sweet woman. Uh, met her the other day. Got a lot of La Cheeseries last week. Good. Lottie, a lot, a lot of, uh, I guess Katie's husband, maybe boyfriend, husband, I think, said, did you give him the TK salute? <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> I started laughing, and she's laughing, and she goes, "No, no, no, no! I, I just, I just gave him a la cheeserie, and I guess the the husband wasn't necessarily thrilled with that." But <laughs> Katie, if you're out there listening, uh, thank you for coming up and saying hello. It was very sweet. Um, let's see. The turning point I thought was that exact moment. I look, Tony. You know how fond I am of Rory uh, on a personal level uh, and a professional level. You've got to make that putt, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you're Rory McIlroy, I was thinking about this, and I don't know if you're going to go down this line of questioning, but Ernie Els has to beat Todd Hamilton, okay, at Royal Troon. He's Ernie Els, all right, and it's Todd Hamilton. No offense to Todd Hamilton, but it's Todd Hamilton. Tiger beats Bob May. Hale Irwin beats Mike Donald. In individual sports, these things are how it works. Do they need more majors? No, but that's how it works. Rory's got to beat Wyndham Clark, doesn't yes. he? So you yes. have to make that putt yes. at the eighth. And again, if it was, if it's Ricky or if it's Scotty or whoever, yeah, okay, whatever. But no offense to Wyndham Clark, but when you're Rory Macro, you're a legendary player. You've got to beat him. You make that putt at eight, and to me, it just keeps continuing to apply the pressure to Wyndham. And at some point, you think that Wyndham isn't going to be able to hold up. He buckled a little bit there at 15 and 16, but to me, 
missing that little one at eight, Tony, which would have been his second birdie, no bogeys on the card on the first side, on the front nine, and, I, and, and here we go. But he missed it, and he was never able to make another birdie along the way until the very, very end. So, I, yeah, that was a big, big moment there. I agree with you. Yeah, you also look at the timing, and at that moment it started to feel very similar to St. Andrews last year where you just started exactly. to see what's going to happen on this back nine where you just seize the birdies, lip out, go just a few feet he by. He was so close. He was so close on so many. Especially given what happens when Clark gets to the ninth hole and makes an unbelievable up and down, and you see that's the putt that you that you should make if you're going to go on to, to win. So, Steve, my, my yeah. feeling about this is that and I, in texts last night, I, I use this phrase a lot, that Clark was steady and deserving. You know, yep. he, he was deserving. He made some great chips, three or four just great chips, right? He made a couple of, maybe three or four incredible up and ins. The one in nine that Michael, Michael alluded to. Yeah. How about the one at 17? I mean, how about the how about the shot at 17? I mean, just absolutely money uh, when he needed to be, and that's the problem when you're dealing with a superstar like McElroy is that the winner is the one who's worthy of winning, and also the one who should garner the attention for getting to the finish line. But I think more people are going to say exactly what Michael said: that Rory played fabulous golf, never made a putt just like St. Andrews, and wasn't able to win. And here we are now, 33 consecutive majors without a victory. And Wyndham Clark was the best player all week. He was the best player yesterday. Uh, he made the most shots. He made the most putts. And he is a absolute deserving champion and, and all credit to him. But you just can't help but think, oh, did Rory let his fans down again or – you know, something of that nature. It's just that's just the nature of sports. That's that's the way it works. I I believe in everything you just said, and you and I have talked about this before. I heard Rory afterwards say, you know, it's getting better, and I'm feeling better, and you know, and it's going to yeah. come here or there. Steve, I'm not sure he's ever going to win another major. I mean, this one, I, you could not ask for anything better. You're drafting behind the leader who ultimately shoots 70, you shoot 70, you birdie the first hole, and after that, nothing. I don't know that he'll ever win a major again, and I like him too. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think he's going to win a major, Johnny. I do think he is getting closer to where he once was as far as the major championships are concerned. And, you know, like one shot, that, that's what's so crazy. I don't know if you remember this, Tony, but years ago, uh, when we first started doing this together, Phil Mickelson said something to me. Now, Phil Mickelson was the best player in the world who had yet to win a major championship. And remember, he didn't win a major championship until he was 34 years old. Okay, Rory, uh, Ricky Fowler is 34 years old, has yet to win a major championship, incredibly popular player. And Phil said to me one time, yeah, weird Phil is. He says all these wacky things. He said to me, he goes, I need to be better a half a shot a day. And I kind of giggled. And then I thought, wait a second. Makes a little bit of sense. I go, let's dive in deep with that. And he explained it to me. He goes, look, do you know how many times I've lost in a playoff or lost by one? If I'm a half a shot better, that's two shots for the week. What people don't realize in golf is that you tee off on the 10th hole at 823 on Thursday morning. Well, that putt at 11 is every bit as important as the putt late on Sunday 
It's just that it happens on Thursday, so people don't think of it. It's kind of like in football. You know, a big holding call or a big defensive call on a third down to extend a drive and they score, well, that, that changes the way the game is played throughout. It's the exact same thing in golf. And Rory just needs to be just a little bit better over the course of the four days. And that sounds crazy because he's going to moonwalk into the Hall of Fame to yeah. the second he's retired. Right. But you're right. It's, it's, it's getting to the point now where you start to wonder, is he going to do this? Because throughout the day, I'm sure you and Michael thought this, throughout the day, all I kept thinking was it, the exact same thing that Michael said was, man, this seems just like St. Andrews. He's playing great, but he's not making anything. And there's a difference in professional golf between playing well and scoring well. And he's not scoring well enough. And he buried the first, which usually is a good thing for Rory. And yesterday it wasn't. And all we keep talking about Rory, but all credit, Tony, to Wyndham Clark. He was fabulous under pressure yesterday that he's never felt in his life. And he was so emotional coming down 18. He had a terrific drive, even though it was a banana ball. That fairway was very wide. That second shot at 18 was a money shot. That putt, that first putt at 18 was a great, great lag putt. All, all credit to him. I'm, I'm very excited for Wyndham, and I'm excited to see where this takes him. Yeah, he seemed super ready for that moment in terms of he, you could feel that he truly believes himself to be one of the best players in the world. But to go back to, yep. to Rory for this, within the majors, you have a there's a difference between the Masters, St. Andrews, LACC. Some of these courses are elevated above other major championship venues, and they are so suited to somebody of the stature of Rory, and to see him just sort of, uh, just sort of uh, falter a little bit under the lights of Los Angeles was a bit surprising. The same way after he put that name tag on St. Andrews and the importance of that, that's where you start to see. You know, it's the fractional shot every day, but it's hard to find a course that was better suited for a player. I mean, I guess if he was a fader of the golf ball. Like a Wyndham Clark, it'd be even more. But if you look at the top five players and the 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 advantage they had off the tee, it's it's hard to find a course that'd be better suited for Rory just based on what he's doing with the driver. He's in at three fifty plus. I, I totally agree. Look, the first drive of the week at the first went three hundred eighty yards and blew past those bunkers, and I thought, geez, Rory's going to do like crazy things this week here because he's just going to maul the golf ball. And he's going to put himself in a position where he's going to have like 10 or 11 wedges in his hand. But it just didn't happen, Michael. And, what I, you know, what, what, TV and radio and podcasts are all the same. The best stuff happens during commercials. <laughs> and the best conversations happen during commercials. We're sitting there in the tower yesterday, sitting in the booth the last couple of days, and, and just thinking to ourselves, how is this going to end? Is, is he going to heartbreak is this going to be heartbreak again is it going to be one of those things where he limps to the finish again is it going to be where he misses something again and then sure enough and you know how much i love the guy you can't hit that shot tony and michael at at 14 that third shot come on man like it's a wedge you can't do that and then you get the break of a lifetime and the ball somehow is embedded, embedded yeah not in the bunker but in the grass in that hill in the grass above the bunker, you get the free drop. You know, it's oh yeah, yeah, it's 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 aggravating. Uh, it's thirty three majors in a row now, um, and it's very frustrating for Rory's fans. Uh, no, nobody's more frustrated than Rory. And I like what he said yesterday. He always says the right thing for the most part. But he said, "Look, I'd go through a hundred more of these Sundays 
to get my hands on one more major championship trophy. And I agree with that. And I do think, Tony, he's going to win another major championship. Remember, the next major is at Liverpool, is at Hoylake. He's won there. He won his Open Championship. So, you know, the, the stars are aligned for him to be able to get there again. And if it's his week, uh, it's his week. Yeah. It was, it was the way it played out where early gags, early, by Fowler, yeah. by DJ, by yep. Scheffler, by Shoffley and English. Shoffley and English took themselves out of this by the second hole. So it's just two guys. It's just Rory chasing Wyndham Clark. Uh, honestly, I'd have bet the ranch on <laughs> Rory. I would have. Well, how could you not? Yeah, I would have. I mean, honestly... Tony, when I when the day started, somebody said to me, "Hey, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen?" And I said, "Rory's going to win at nine under." They're like, nine under? Come on! The clouds are out, the marine layers out, the golf course is a little bit softer." I said, "No, no the sun's coming out at one o'clock. It's going to bake out quick. It's going to be very fast. By the end of the day, it's going to look like it did all day on Saturday. If we had four days, by the way, of Saturday as opposed to that marine layer, which really makes things really damp in that area, uh, which means the golf course can't get firm and fast." It would have been a really, it would have been a completely different U.S. Open. But anyway, when the day started, I said Rory's going to win at nine. I said I think Fowler's swing is there, but I don't think the trust is there fully uh, because of the new swing and being in the situation for the first time in a long, long time. I, I didn't discount Fowler. I just didn't think he was going to win. I did not think the Wyndham Clark was going to fold. I just didn't think he was going to, you know, I think he was going to hover. I thought Scheffler might make a move because he, that's what he seemingly always does. Uh, Dustin Johnson, I thought, would have been dangerous. But I said McElroy's going to win at 9 because I don't think it's going to require that much more. And he finished at 9, nine. and Wyndham was better. He was. Wyndham was better. He, he was better. Tony, that shot at that, that third at the putt at 8 and the third at 14, you can't have that happen. That just can't happen on Sunday at a major championship. And it happened again to Rory. Thank you so much, as always. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Steve. Wait, can I, can I say one last thing? Sure. Greg Garcia and I were supposed to grab dinner. You didn't have dinner. Yeah, Greg. right. No, we, do, we didn't have dinner. You know, Couldn't why? get the reservation at Craig's? Why? why? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I went to Craig's. Um, <laughs> we did not go to dinner because he was in L.A. He shot me a text. We're going to go grab some dinner. We're like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going out with the great Greg Garcia for dinner. We're going to laugh. We're going to make fun of Tony for two hours. It's going to be a lot of fun. And he said, the wife said, we're going to the beach this weekend. We have Father's Day surprises coming up. So I got rinsed for Mrs. Garcia. Bad deal for you. <laughs> what? I mean, Greg, Greg will text me it. in an hour, and he'll let me know what happened. Yeah. From now on, from now on, he's not Greg Garcia anymore. He's Better deal, Greg. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. All right, Tony. Be good. Happy Father's Day. Belated to you guys. To everybody. To everybody. Thank you. Steve Sands, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Missouri marching band. It's so flattering. 
that they would have done that. It's amazingly flattering. It really is. Do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. That's about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say I can see you're slipping away from me and you're so afraid I'll plead with you to stay. But I'm going to be strong and let you go your way. Our love is gone. There's no sense in holding on because your pity now would be too much to bear. So I'm going to be strong and pretend I don't care. This is uh, from the song I'm Going to Be Strong by Gene Pitney. This is 65 years old, this song. This is one of the great vocals ever. It's right. Am I right, Nigel? Yes, you are. It's one of the great vocals ever. Gene Pitney, who you may know from Town Without Pity uh, and songs like that, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, they're nothing compared to I'm Going to Be Strong. His voice on that, you recommended that song to me. I think it's because Cynthia Wilde was one of the writers of that yeah, song. Yeah, Barry Mann and, and Cynthia Wilde. And Pitney just blow that away. Thanks to our guest today, Wilbon Sands. Thanks to our sponsors, Etsy, Grammarly, Nuts.com. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. I went through uh, old emails last night, and I found a bunch I liked, and they're from April. From Ricky White in Nolensville, Tennessee, I grew up the son of a longtime Washington Post employee who had worked there 40 years at the time of his death in 2005. He started as an inserter as a teenager, then worked in the mailroom, not where the Postal Service delivers the mail, but where they produce the paper. He worked at the Southeast and Northwest plants, but helped open the Springfield plant, worked there until his death. He also had a brother who worked there for 30 years, a niece who was a distributor, and a sister was one of the first to deliver the paper door-to-door many moons ago. I grew up reading your columns, love the bandwagon columns, 1991. I've enjoyed you on PTI and the radio and the podcast for years. I've been wanting to write, but was looking for the right topic. When you were discussing Saliza's new book, you mentioned that Donald Graham would come in and sit in the sports department. Well, my dad had several opportunities over the years to speak with Donald Graham when he would come out to the Springfield plant. My dad told me one time that Donald Graham told him he only read the sports and style sections. I think I have style right, but I definitely know sports was said. Thanks for that trip down memory lane of conversations with my dad about his time working for the Washington Post and his interactions with Donald Graham. Don Graham is the greatest boss in the history of bosses. His best family-owned business. He cared about every employee. He was equally at home. In fact, he probably was more at home with his sleeves rolled up working on the printing presses than he was in the newsroom. He identified with every single employee, the greatest boss in the world. Really, honestly. From Eric Sadkin in Roslyn, New York. It's on the North Shore of Long Island. I was catching up on some old shows. I was listening to your February 27th show. Had my DA moment. I've been a longtime fan back to the days of sports reporters from the inception of PTI and recently became a regular listener to the pod. I grew up a South Florida resident, but now find myself a resident of Roslyn, New York. And as such, I always enjoy your Long Island tales and reminiscing and musings of your time growing up there. While responding to an emailer on February 27th, your response took you into a commentary about Valley Stream Central, where you immediately referenced Jerry Chermack as an alum. I said, hey, I know that guy. I grew up dear friends with Jerry's son, Doug, and while both of us were avid sports fans as kids, when we'd see you on ESPN, he would note, my dad was his roommate and good friend with Tony in college. I thought, yeah, right. Jerry was the headmaster of my high school, an all-around great guy, but I just can't see him actually knowing Tony. Your next immediate reference to Valley Stream Central on the pod was to Les Moonvis, being another alum, who Doug also told me his dad was friends with. I thought, come on, your dad just happens to be friends with Kornheiser and Moonvis. Likely story, buddy. In one quick email recanting on your show, you immediately verified both tales as absolutely factual. As always, the connective tissue of the show never ceases to amaze. Lastly, Jerry went to Camp Tioga, and I have long heard the tales of both Tioga and Kiuma, which he used to speak fondly of in the same way that you do and always make me think of my wonderful time in Sleepaway Camp as a kid. 
from Bob Giraldi Jr. I was happy to see you secure a Reggie bar to end the big finish on the PTI show on Tuesday, April 18th. I hope you enjoyed it and remember the original as fondly as I did. Nice reference on the show from the previous week showing Yankee fans showering the field on opening day 1978. Each of these brought a smile and a nice memory. My father is Bob Giraldi Sr. and was the director of the original Reggie Bar commercial. I've enclosed a picture I thought you might enjoy. I was very fortunate to grow up with experiences around many of these famous retired athletes, being on the set for a well-known, taste-great-less-filling Miller Lite tug-of-war commercial on a Florida beach. I tried to steal one of Matt Snell's gloves but got busted by the athlete himself. I think I was 12 or younger, so he took it easy on me. As well as the famous, you're fired, Billy. Oh, no, not again, Miller Lite commercial, which I've attached another picture. I'm fond of this photo as it includes a couple of my friends, plus Billy and the boss, definitely a keeper, boss being George Steinbrenner. Dad was the director of many Miller Lite commercials in the 70s and early 80s. The photo also includes me with Franco Harris and his father for a powerhouse candy bar commercial, also circa 1978. Your Reggie Bar nostalgic visit was fun. I thought I'd let you know my personal connections to it. Isn't that nice? That's nice. It's lovely. Again, from the Reggie Bar, from Craig Stevenson in Mobile, Alabama. The best description of the Reggie Bar was by Yankee teammate Catfish Hunter when asked by a reporter if he'd had one. And Hunter replied, I didn't have to. I opened the wrapper and it told me how good it was. <laughs> great shot at Reggie. It's a great shot at Reggie. From James Reinhardt. Just a quick note to extend my thanks to Michael. I recently sent a message to the show complaining about my foolishness in joining the Incorrect Bracket Challenge Group. I didn't hope for anything more than maybe an email back acknowledging what an idiot I am, maybe thanking me for listening. Then I received an email, not from Michael, but from UPS. They said I had a package coming my way. I had no idea what it was and did not recall ordering anything recently. So I was excited to see what I maybe had purchased during a blackout wine binge. <laughs> Imagine my surprise when that UPS package had Michael's name as the return address. Inside was a pair of MeUndies socks, some liquid IV packets, a pair of MeUndies boxers, which was serendipitous because I was out of clean underwear for the next day, and a handwritten note from Michael himself. I was and still am floored. Thank you so much for your generosity. All about the underpants. Got to share the wealth. <laughs> From David Longfritz. I watch PTI every night on a show tonight, but it's a long time ago. I noticed a painting behind you of a golf course. I have a similar painting of a golf course with the exact same frame. Must be the same artist. Do you know anything about this artist you can share? I don't know what painting that is of a golf course. Yeah, I don't know which one I that don't one. really know. Um, so it's probably a picture, not a painting, but I don't really know. Yeah. From Monty in Vegas. I listened intently to Wednesday's show, waiting for Tony to acknowledge the great moment when NHL analyst P.K. Subban gave him his official hockey nickname <laughs> on the Thursday edition of PTI. I'm not a big hockey guy, but Subban is always a great talker, and I do enjoy the playoffs. Yes. I was happy to hear he'd be featured in the five good minutes segment, so imagine my delight when at the very end of the interview he signs off and he says, thanks, Wilbon, thanks, guys, corny. Corny. Did he just say corny? I had to rewind the show and hear it again to make sure I wasn't hallucinating. And indeed, I had heard correct. P.K. Subban had called Anthony Irwin Kornheiser, a.k.a. Satchmo, a.k.a. Old Sport, a.k.a. Mr. Do You Know Who I Am? Corny. I marveled at how he did it in such casual ways, as if you'd all been teammates for years on the National Predators. He being the brash, hard-hitting defenseman and you the wiry, witty left-winger who had a penchant for coffee ice cream over the sink and bread crust in your pocket. I guess you're just trying to be humble, Wednesday, and not acknowledge this amazing moment in your career to have an actual NHL All-Star bless you with corny on national television, to be christened with the most generic, easy, unoriginal nickname you can give a person. Well, I guess that's why you got in the business in the first place. This is a brilliant email (laughs) from Monty in Vegas. Absolutely brilliant. From Andrew Vogel in Spokane, Washington. When are you taking Pablo for his first pony ride? (laughs) 
Yep. How's that feel? That feels great, Dad. How's that? Happy Father's Day. Yeah. From Stephen Tompkins, who has a master's degree in English at Lehigh University. Lehigh is a good school. Yes, it Lehigh, is. Lehigh, Lafayette, Bucknell, all good schools in Pennsylvania. I was surprised on Wednesday's podcast you didn't recall Nixon's role in proclaiming Texas as the college national champion in 1969. President Nixon attended the game between Texas and Arkansas on December 6th, a day that will live in infamy and announced that he would award the winning team a presidential plaque, declaring them the number one college football team in college football's 100th year, to the chagrin of observers who thought it would be premature to do so before the New Year's Day bowl games, and of fans of Penn State, which would also end the season undefeated and untied. Texas came back from a 14-0 deficit after three quarters to win the game 15-14. Texas went on to beat Notre Dame 21-17 in the Cotton Bowl, supposedly removing any doubts as to whether it deserved to be national champions, although Penn State fans still insist that their team also undefeated, and winner of the Orange Bowl was better. The entire Texas-Penn State debate and Nixon's involvement led Joe Paterno, a conservative Republican, to say during a commencement speech at Penn State in 1973, I've wondered how President Nixon could so, know so little about Watergate in 1973 and so much about college football <laughs> in 1969. Um, Carl in Oswego, New York, he sent me the I-70 column that Uncle Big Al wanted to see. He sent most of it to me um, yeah, it's all of it. It's what's on the front and what's in the back. And I'm going to read it at some point, but I'm not going to read it now because, come on, I can't read it now. No, not now. What else do we have? And one more from Karen Schroeder in Moyock, North Carolina. Happy Father's Day to you. In July 2000, I read your column, Fire in the Sky. What a tribute to your dad. I cut the column out of the Washington Post over the past 20 plus years when the relative when a friend of a relative or friend passes, I send a copy of the column to them. Many have shared it as the most meaningful letter they got after the passing of their relative. To this day, your tribute brings tears to my eyes, warmth to my heart, and a smile to my face. Thank you, and I hope you treat your kids well today. I think I did treat my kids well. I took a shot at Michael with the Pablo thing, but that was the day after Father's Day. <laughs> Michael is the father of three. Yes, The father is. of three. That's Got beautiful love. cards from the boys, and we'll see what you, uh, how you handle Pablo going to summer camp when he sends back the pictures with the uh, the stick figures. <laughs> yeah, see if you go pick him up. Stabbing myself. I want out of here. Have to get out of here. If you're out on your bike, tonight, everyone is always to wear white. But I still need a bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. <laughs> Me on the road, oh, I'd be. 
Small towns. 